0: That was our version of that 11 hour Civil War documentary. Yeah, for those of you
1: that the TV. This next one's a dance number.
2: The original Sweetwater opened its doors in 1972. And on December 17, 1990, Jerry Garcia and David Grisman reunited to play the Village Music Christmas Party. The first time they played together publicly in nearly 20 years. once-in-a-lifetime show has been a commonplace occurrence at Sweetwater, where a lucky few have been in the room to see world-renowned artists share the stage. Like when Jerry Garcia jammed with Elvis Costello and Sammy Hagar, or the night Bonnie Raitt and Santana joined John Lee Hooker, or more recently when Jim James or Billy Strings played with Bobby Weir. Welcome to Heart of Town, 50 Years of Sweetwater. Here's David Grisman, interviewed by Jesse Block in
0: 1997. Dog is a nickname that Jerry Garcia gave me a long time ago. And when I started writing instrumentals, you know, it's hard to find names for instrumentals. So having that dog moniker allowed me to come up with lots of different names. When people started asking me, what style of music do you play or what do you call this? Because it obviously wasn't bluegrass. You know, it wasn't really like anything that was around at that time, which was around 1976, I figured I'd just call it dog music. I'd just give it a generic term of its own, thinking that I wouldn't have to explain it. But of course, ever since that, I've been explaining what dog music means. So. But basically, it's uh, acoustic instrumental music with, with varied influences operating upon it. I actually started with classical piano lessons when I was about seven years old. My dad uh, was a professional trombone player earlier in his life uh, and uh, he got me started with uh, piano lessons and kind of tapped the ruler while I practiced and uh, he passed away when I was about 10 and I kind of drifted away from the piano. I had a problem with uh, practicing. And then I discovered folk music uh, actually through the Kingston Trio when I was about, oh, I'd say uh, 14 years old. Shortly after that, I met a man named Ralph Rinsler, who was from my hometown, sake New Jersey. And his cousin was uh, my English teacher in junior high. And uh, several of us misfits there who were interested in traditional folk music uh, went to her to see if we could form a folk music club in high school. And uh, she told us about this cousin of hers who was a professional folk musician. And we kind of rolled our eyes. But uh, shortly thereafter, Ralph showed up in my 10th grade English class with a mandolin, banjo, and guitar and gave kind of a little concert and lecture about traditional folk music and uh, kind of blew our minds. we started bothering him, and, and he very was very kind to uh, to us kids. And uh, we'd go over there late at night, actually, and uh, hang out. And he would show us uh, things, uh, you know, on playing wise on instruments and uh, play tapes. And he was an amazing guy and a great mandolin player. Uh, Ralph one day called me up and asked me if I wanted to go. Here, Bill Monroe.
2: Here's Steve Parrish on how Jerry and David first met in the early '60s.
3: Well, they first both met on a, a quest in their lives in the early '60s to find bluegrass music in America. And Jerry always told me about how him and Sandy Rossman just took off in a car, and it was 1961, I believe, or '62, but it was Freedom Summer in Mississippi and Alabama, and all the South where they were looking for the music and the festivals. So here they come driving into this thing where everybody was looking for uh, white guys coming down in cars from other out of states. And they still found each other at these festivals because everybody was wanting to meet Bill Monroe. Here's David Grisman's
4: son, Sam Grisman. My dad and Jerry met uh, when they were on a similar sort of pilgrimage um, as young musicians to go see first-generation bluegrass bands in the flesh, my dad would take the bus, the Trailways bus, down with a buddy or two, and you know, seek out some of this music. Go see Bill Monroe or or uh, Jimmy Martin or you know, and that's how or Jim and Jesse or the Osborne brothers. And that's sort of how my dad met a lot of his bluegrass heroes and uh, also sort of widened his network of musical peers. And I believe he ran into Jerry in the parking lot at a jam around 1964. good fortune of you know being born to my particular set of parents in January of 1990 and that was I think the very same month that my father David Grisman started his record label Acoustic Disc and opened um, the studio that he'd been sort of developing in our basement uh, on, on Morning Sun uh, up in Mill Valley up above Tam High there and uh, yeah, my father and Jerry Garcia had recently rekindled their, their friendship, musically and otherwise. Jerry started coming over to the house. And I, the way that my dad recollects it is that um, the first time he came over there, before they even really played any music, um, Jerry just said, hey man, we ought we to make a record so we have an excuse to get together. And My dad just sort of, you know, casually and nonchalantly said, "Hey, man, I just, uh, you know, built a studio and started a record label." And Jerry said, "Perfect, we'll do it for you." Oh, we do. We go back to to buckle
5: in. Okay.
6: So after that whole last, uh, let's
0: take it from the verse before the stops. Okay. Yeah. Is that always the same verse? Yeah.
7: It'll always be the verse about uh, ask that boss I can line a track. Okay, blah, 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 I
4: can... Uh... And that's what catalyzed them working on the first Garcia Grisman record, which is self-titled. It's just called Garcia Grisman. And, uh, and I think that's the record uh, that would have been fresh when they went down and played the Sweetwater that December they're playing a lot of the material off of it. Yeah, I had the great fortune of just uh, being raised in this house where my dad and Jerry had 90-plus sessions um in the first five years of my life and so I just you know grew up in this atmosphere where you know Jerry was one of my dad's closest friends and he was coming to the house you know once a month or so to record sometimes more than that sometimes less just kind of depending on his touring schedule and uh you know it was just like a a really peaceful relaxing time where those guys were um just connecting you know uh through their shared love of this material and and sort of getting nostalgic for all of all of the music that um sort of shaped them as musicians and and they sort of just dove into the this catalog of great american music um which is you know some of my favorite music and it's the music that shaped my earliest musical memories and and now it's the music that I spend my life going out and performing um, with my friends. So it's just kind of a really special cosmic situation to be sort of born into.
2: Here's the Sam Grisman Project, joined by Peter Rowan, performing Midnight Moonlight at Sweetwater Music Hall this past January.
1: If you ever feel lonesome, <laughs> and you are down in San Antonio.
2: Now back to Big Steve.
3: We could do a thing like him and Grisman their first little show, because Grisman lived up the hill at the time. And we'd go up to the house there and they were recording. And it gave Jerry a reconnect to Grisman, who he had met way earlier. And they didn't always play together. They did for a while, but then they stayed away from each other. And then when they reconnected, Jerry was already way deep in Grateful Dead and all his careers and all his stuff and his art. And that gave him another place To have a new beginning of of acoustic music again even though he was playing with the Grateful Dead a little bit but he always felt that the chops for acoustic and electric were so different that he didn't like mixing it all the time and so when he was doing that with Grisman it was pure because Grisman such an amazing mandolin player and the two of them would be recording endlessly up there it was like a a solace up up the hill uh, to play up there, and then they just brought it down to Sweetwater when they wanted to. Well, that's a gradual word of mouth thing, and it becomes a legendary, uh, mystical thing, especially if people can't get in there and have the big experience, they wonder. And you never know when it's gonna happen, so if you miss it, you wonder, why wasn't I there that night, or something, you know? If you heard about the show and you said, oh man, they played at the Sweetwater and I was fucking around somewhere else, you know? i could have been there that night or something you realize wow, you missed a nice little intimate thing but that was the beauty of it
0: we're gonna send this out to john goddard here this is a tune we're working on it's called grateful dog
2: How did this musical reunion come together? Village music owner and mastermind behind many of the old Sweetwater's epic shows, John Goddard sets the stage.
8: Well, Jerry Garcia and Bob Weir and Bill Kreutzmann all lived in Marin County. They were in the Grateful Dead. They lived in Marin County. Um, and at one point or another, wandered into the store. Uh, Jerry came in not long after I opened and was astounded that I not only had Joseph Spence, a Bahaman guitar player, and Django Reinhardt records in stock, but I knew who they were. And he wasn't, he wasn't used to that, and so we just developed kind of a in-store relationship. I mean, we didn't like hang out or you know go to parties together or, or you know go to each other's houses. We didn't do that. Although Pigpen came to my house one night because he was he was hitting on the lady that worked with me. <laughs> um, so Jerry, just. Um, had a habit of coming. He did a lot of his Christmas shopping in the store. He was very big on very large box sets as gifts. So he was invited regularly. He came to the Hank Ballard party, which was like the second party I did because he was a huge Hank Ballard the Midnighters fan.
6: Well, Hank Ballard is one of my heroes, yeah, you know, and John Goddard turned me on to him So I get calls from Hank every once in a while, too, you know, and I'm, I'm just so pleased because he was, like, important to me when I was a kid, you know. Sure. I mean, I loved the guy that got kicked off the radio, you know, for Work With Me Annie. That was, now, that was like a real heavy trip back in the, I mean, that was like the rhythm of blues stations before there was such a thing as rock and roll, and he was already, he was, like, too weird for the rhythm yeah. and blues stations. <laughs> Chubby Checker copped his whole deal from Hank. Uh, Hank never really got the credit he Deserve for that.
8: And he ended up sitting at a table with David Grisman, who he'd played with in *Olden* and in the Way and way before that. And they had had a falling out about money and hadn't, hadn't spoken to each other for years. And at least on David's part, there was a lot of hostility there. And um, they ended up at the same table and got to, ca- got to talking and reconnected and decided to do an album together which was the first Garcia Garcia-Grisman album together. And due to the fact that they had reconnected at one of my parties, when I asked David if he and Jerry would like to play my Christmas party a year later, or a year and a half later, he said yes, and he asked Jerry. Jerry said yes. And they'd already announced their very first public performance at Great American Music Hall in January. And my Christmas party was kind of a rehearsal. It was actually their first public gig together, which they did because they had reconnected at one of my parties. Bill Graham used to come in a lot. He had his little seat at the end of the bar by the door, where he and Jeannie would would sit and talk. You know, he came to he came to several of my parties, and I never saw him because I was always up front. I, that was that was my perk for the party. I had like the front row seat at the front table and half the time never left it, and Bill was always at the back by the popcorn machine.
2: Bill Graham was the greatest promoter in concert history, and now our presenting sponsor, Marine Layer, has exclusive access to his legendary archive. He saved everything, from ticket stubs to backstage passes and all kinds of never-before-seen artwork from his shows, and Marine Layer's new Bill Graham collection includes band tees that feel like the ones that would have been on the merch table 50 years ago. I've been a fan of their tees since the early days in San Francisco because they make the softest T-shirt of all time. Like imagine the softest thing ever, times a hundred. It feels like my old shirt that I've washed a million times, but also looks put together somehow. And they've even got sizes like Marge, which is in between medium and large, so everyone can have their perfect fit. I think we can all admit that the perfect tee can be hard to find, but look no further than Marie Lair.
8: I hired photographers. I've got literally thousands of photographs from just my parties. I had all the shows videotaped. I had all the shows, most of them on dat tapes for the sound. And I just, you know, if you're gonna do it, you gotta do it right or don't do it at all. John Goddard
2: hired filmmaker Jesse Block to record the show that night. Here's Jesse.
6: It was really packed that evening, I do remember. So just to give you a little bit of flavor and background, We'd come in with the cameras, we'd set them up, we'd have to run two video lines, two BNCs, one for Genlock, one for video, we had to match the cameras, and we were ready to go. Now, the guy that I had on the wide shot in the back of the room had never shot video, but he was an old friend of mine for decades, and of course a big Jerry fan a musician himself, so he was probably the worst camera guy in the set, so I'd really have to talk him through it, but it was magic. And once you got into the performance, we uh, really got into the vibe and the flow and my camera shots and camera folks were inspired, they were motivated. And uh, we were able to put together a video concert for all to enjoy till the end of time.
2: few at Sweetwater that December evening was Rob Bleetstein.
7: Yeah, my plan was I just, I was like, okay, I'm going to the Sweetwater. And I think I showed up there at noon. I, I think I showed up when they opened, when the bar opened. Well, maybe they were open at 7 a.m., but I wasn't going that early. But I think I got there like at noon. I sat down at the bar. Those uh, who know, I don't even really drink. So I was basically drinking cranberry and seltzer water all day (laughs) just constantly buying over and over and over sitting there talking to whoever was coming in and i remember i think dixie was behind the bar and um and the day just progressed on the hours just sort of clicked by and people were coming in and then I, i don't really recall jesse and the film crew coming in but i don't recall much but i do remember garcia walking in walking right by me and just saying howdy and i think david too and you know the hours just kept going by i kept drinking cranberry and seltzer and no one asked me to leave so it worked out great and the show is astounding and just to see them in that atmosphere and both of them being so happy and everyone there being so happy which is just incredible night and also it was all brand new you know no one had heard Grateful Dog before no one had heard any of that stuff that they were doing so it was just like incredible on that front too and of course David's got his you know uh, Jim Kerwin went on bass and Joe Craven on percussion and those guys are such amazing musicians in their own right I see Jerry just beaming and exploring this whole other world, just the, the, the two of them, the way they, their leads interlace with each other, the way they feed off each other, the way they, just from their eye movements and their smiles, and then what their fingers do on their fretboards with, you know, there's, so there's incredible alchemy between those two guys. And it really came off that night and then came off on all the projects that they did you know, some great nights at the Warfield, but the old Sweetwater was just an incredible spot.
8: Here's Paul Libertor,
2: longtime Marine rock journalist and historian.
8: Well, there was no pressure, you know, you could just come in and try things out. It was small. I don't know how many, well, held a hundred maybe, I don't know, not even. And uh, you, could, you could try things out. It was relaxed, you played. You played for an intimate crowd. I think a lot of musicians will tell you, people who play for stadiums, they would rather play in a little club, really, frankly. I mean, the connection with the audience is so much more intimate. Jeannie called it this squished little club because it was very narrow and uh, tight. A lot of the most memorable nights were because of the collaboration between John Gardard from Village Music and-, and Jeannie Patterson. By the early 90s, I was having real delusions of grandeur. I mean, there was there was no limit to what went on in my head. I mean, I had all these, I had all these shows happen that I knew were never gonna happen. And I talked to B.B. King on and off for years about maybe doing one sometime. And uh, I just had this, all of a sudden it was like, ah, I'll have the Grateful Dead and B.B. King for a party at little dinky two-bit Sweetwater. And I just jokingly, jerry was in the store and i asked him if they would consider doing something like that on this little postage stamp stage and he after he got through laughing he said "Um, i'll I'll run it by the guys and see what they say and about two days later bob weir comes in and goes you know we had a band meeting yesterday and i hear we're going to play one of your anniversary parties (laughs) and i thought boy this is." This is wonderful. All I have to do is like line up a date and line up BB King, which is almost impossible. But I, I, I figured, you know, I can do this. I can do this. And then it um, then Jerry got into his drug problems again. And it's sort of and six months later, he was dead and it all just sort of it all went away because I I didn't follow up on anything, which I'd been known to do occasionally and so it didn't happen but that was my that was my grand party
1: Lullaby, just a plain little tune, baby, starts to cry. Rock about my baby, somewhere.
4: So, you know, I never had really much of a concept that, you know, Jerry was a famous person when he was uh, coming around our house and making music and, you know, he was just one of my dad's really dear friends who came around the house the most. And there were other friends like that, you know, like Tony Rice and Martin Taylor and Doc Watson and Del McCurry, who, you know, would come through the house maybe less frequently. Um, But, you know, Jerry lived in Mill Valley, so he was just around. um, And they were buds. And nobody in our family, you know, uh, treated him as anything other than just a really dear, you know, family friend.
2: Life moves fast, and Starbucks Ready to Drink Coffee delivers an uplifting boost that helps you tune into the moments that matter, wherever you are. It's Starbucks coffee, conveniently packaged for life on the go. As a dad of two young girls and somebody who sees a lot of shows, I'm usually all over the place trying to catch up on sleep and work. And there's not much time during the day to head out to grab a coffee or a meal. That's why I love that I can grab a bottled frappuccino chilled coffee drink and have my favorite Starbucks coffee ready when I am. Starbucks coffee, ready for right now. Shop the full lineup online or in store, wherever you buy groceries. Thanks for taking a trip back with us to 1990 to see a couple old friends reconnect and create one of the best Christmas party soundtracks you could ever imagine. Next episode, we'll spend some time with a musician who's carrying forward Sweetwater's legacy. Chicago-based piano player and songwriter, Neil Francis, who played a pair of shows at Sweetwater with his band in April, 2023. But for now, we'll leave you with Jerry and David's performance of When First Unto This Country, From the Village Music Christmas Party.
1: When first unto this country a stranger I came, I called.
5: Was her name?
1: I called her for love, her love I didn't obtain. Do you think I've any reason right to complain? Sheriff's men, they followed and overtaken.